So we're in the, we're in the book of uh, 1 John, chapter 3. We've been looking at this subject of to know God is to love God. That is the title of our entire series. But this morning, uh, we're going to be focusing on our relationship with our brother or brethren, uh, those that are in the family of God. And, uh, you know, in our world today, it's increasingly clear that many uh, are having an identity crisis. But uh, Matt's not. Matt just identified with the Lord Jesus and the baptism. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? And, uh, and so that's cool. Um, but I was thinking back 40 years ago, uh, there was a battle to begin <clears throat> uh, identifying adults by their sexual activity, not by just, you know, who they were, but by uh, their sexual activity. And then 20 years ago, the battle migrated to uh, redefining marriage as a union between any gender. And then today, uh, there's pressure to eliminate the biological definition of one's gender at all. So, you know, Bruce Jenner thought that he was born a biological man, but woke up one day and decided that his uh, biology didn't inform his identity any longer, uh, and his gender dysphoria did. So now he, he thinks he's a, do, a girl uh, or a woman. And so um, eventually, when a child's born in the ER, you're not going to be able to call it a, his, a him or a her. You know, they become an it. And uh, that's exactly the direction Satan wants and needs to take humanity, because dehumanizing us is one step uh, closer to the animal kingdom and one step further away from God's image, right? God created us in his image and likeness, in, or at least Adam in the book of Genesis. And of course, we understand Adam fell and we are sinful, but yet God is on his whole, the whole gospel's message is about how God wants to redeem us and restore us. It's all about restoration, reconciliation, and, and us being changed into his very image. We, are, we want to become more and more like him not less and less like him. But there's a full-on assault, right, uh, in our culture today. And it's just, you can see the migration. And uh, it just erodes and erodes away at, at ultimately what? Who God is, right? It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's saying, no, there is not a creator, and you're not created by him. Now, you're probably here in, at HBF this morning because you believe in a creator, at least. Most people do, even if they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, you don't even have to be a Christian to know that there's a creator, Right? Even scientists are coming to that conclusion that are scientists in, in, uh, in, uh, in the true sense of the word, not science falsely so-called, that, that they can't help but say, well, there's got to be some intelligent design. They may not be willing to go all the way to say there's a God yet, uh, but that's where, that's where God's taking them because the evidence is there before them. But in the world in which we live, it's important that we have our identity nailed down. Right? This is a this is a time in which you really need to know who you are and where you are with the Lord Jesus Christ. And John is writing to the saints so that they have no question about their relationship with God. And we've been talking about how important that is because in 1 John chapter 2, uh, as he concludes down there in verse 28, he tells them it's, it's important, little children, he says, uh, abide in him that when he, sh- that when he shall appear, uh, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. There's a day when the born again, the redeemed are going to be caught up and we'll be before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't want to be ashamed. We want to be ready for that day. And so in chapter three, he busts into that chapter dealing with the fact that this, there's a great manner of love. Behold, he says, like, get a hold of this. Look at this thing. Meditate on it. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The reason Matt just got in this tank and got baptized is because he's trusted Jesus Christ. And he's telling everybody, when I did that, that day, I became a son of God. Christ is in him, and now he is in Christ. He's identifying with him through what is called believer's baptism. And so he's publicly coming before the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, witnesses to that fact to say, hey, I am now identified as a Christian. My name is now is Christian. I've taken on Jesus' name. I'm I'm as it used to be a, a negative thing, a little Christ, now we are actually titled that. And so, because that's our name, we are Christians, we're born again, we are like him. The elder John was, was uh, the last living of all the apostles in his writing to God's little children and giving us a lesson on who we are in Christ so we can be ready to stand unashamed before the Lord when he comes and catches us away. So let me just give you a quick high-level flyover where we've already been in First John chapter 3, and then we'll get into the text and We'll get through this and get going because we got walking tacos to eat today. So uh, number one, uh, we've been talking about this love of the Father, right? So behold the love of the Father. And I think on your outline, I put some little information. By the way, if you didn't get an outline and you want one, just raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one, and uh, you can have one there in your seat. But 
We saw several weeks ago that we need to behold our relationship as sons of God. Obviously, that's very clear in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. That's what we're to do. And because of that, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we see him, we're going to be like him, right? So we don't just identify him and just kind of hope. We know that someday we will be changed uh, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15 says, and we will be like him. So it really affects our DNA. I've talked about that several weeks ago. When you get saved, uh, it's an incredible thing uh, that is going to actually change your very physical uh, being. And then also, uh, we needed to behold our relationship with the world. Because of that, we're no longer, we don't have the same relationship we, we used to have. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Not only in the future, but now we're different. Which led us into that, that last segment that we talked about for a couple of weeks, which is behold our relationship to sin, because there's a holiness factor, that positional and practical holiness that we, that we, all, we all struggle with, that tension, and trying to understand those verses in 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, the word sin and sinneth is mentioned over and over and over and over again. And ultimately, we learned that Jesus Christ, of course, dealt with our sin uh, on the cross so that we could live a holy life and uh, because we obviously positionally are already set apart and we're sanctified, but it's a day-to-day practical outworking of our faith in God's word that manifests uh, in, this, in this life in which we live, uh, the inward working of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world that's around us. So if, if we don't have a proper relationship with God, we won't understand our identity as a child of God. Let's just think about that. Do you really think about how well uh, this isn't like a, you don't have to answer me out loud, but just in your heart, when you think about that, how well do you really understand your relationship with your Heavenly Father? I mean, that's really what, that's really what our church is about from beginning to end. I mean, we, when you come to Heartland, we are here to equip the saints of God uh, in the Word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God. Okay, that, that sounds pretty logistical. But what that really means is that we're here to help you learn who you are in Christ right, through the process of discipleship, being a follower of Jesus Christ, following his word, understanding it first. You can't follow what you don't know, so you, you have to learn. And so how can you learn except someone teach you, right? So we're here to teach. The job of the church is to edify, to teach, right, the, the saints of God. So this is a teaching church. We teach the Bible so people can grow, because the more they know, the more they can grow. And as they grow in God's word, they also grow in obedience, right? We saw Matt do that, right? So he just followed the Lord in the first act of obedience. And so he's following God faithfully, and he's taking that next right step. And our life, my life is still, I've been saved for over 30 years, and every day God's saying, Brian, take the next right step. That's all based in my identity as a son of God, as a child of God, understanding that I have a father in heaven. I'm not serving the same things I used to serve when I was lost. Now I'm redeemed, and if you're redeemed, if you're a child of God, and I hope all of you are, I don't know who is and who isn't, but I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice is. If you're not, you need to become one because the Father in heaven has a plan for your life. He has something for you. He's trying to take you somewhere that glorifies him and also benefits you in the process. And so today we're going to begin a two-part message on beholding our relationship with our brother. Because as we conclude uh, 1 John chapter 3, uh, this sermon series uh, has really got two aspects that I want to balance out. The first Uh, And the second part, the first part is titled No Deception, which we'll talk about this morning. And then we'll come back around next week and talk about know God's love, kind of a play on that word no. But there's some things you don't need in your life. You don't need deception, right? You don't need to be confused about your identity. But you do need to know, in the K-N-O-W sense, you know the love of God. You need to have an intimate relationship with God's love so you can understand who you are and what God wants you to do. And if that happens... We will have a proper relationship with other people. And the thing that, the, the, as you can tell in our society, one of the things uh, that happens when you devolve humanity into things that God never intended is the relationships become strained. Unity among people is going to come when we have unity uh, in an understanding of who God is and how God acts and how God allows people to make choices and also uh, his goodness to us. There has to be freedom of conscience and thought, and ultimately what's called individual soul liberty. Every individual uh, has to have a love relationship with Christ in this dispensation, or they're not going to be saved. I can't save anybody by fiat. I can't. I, my kids aren't saved because they were born in my house. Um, you're not saved because you attend this church, right? That's not what saves us. What saves us is a personal 
relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and his faith saves us. We put our faith in his faith and his finished work, and boom, he quickens us. That's an individual decision that everyone has to come to to place their faith in Christ. And so when we do that, our identity changes. And, and there's some things out there that the devil and the world and the flesh want to use to deceive us, and we, there should not be any deception. So let's do this. Let's look at our text. I'm going to read verses 7 through 13 this morning, and then we're going to work through this outline that is before you. Uh, we're going to skip down to verse 7 as John is once again addressing the little children. It's his favorite phrase since he's entered chapter 2. Little children, little children, little children. Verse 7, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have from the beginning, that we should love one another." Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, uh, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that... Oh, I'm sorry, that's where I'm going to stop this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this uh, passage, this segment of scripture we've just read from your word. I pray a holy blessing upon the reading, the hearing, and the living of your word this morning. Teach us lessons from this passage that we can walk away with, that we can apply. Help us in understanding our identity as children of God. This is a glorious thing to be called the sons of God. And it's also a reality that because of that, not everyone will understand the change that takes place in our hearts and in our lives and in our actions. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us not to be deterred from, um, from walking away from you because we want to please those that don't understand in the world. Help us to be faithful to you, because you are so faithful to us, sending your son on the, to die on the cross. Lord, staying on the cross so that you might save us and redeem us from the curse of the law. Lord, rising again the third day, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us right now, and promising to come and catch us away in the clouds any moment now. Lord, we are so thankful for your faithfulness to us. We pray, God, a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the living of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in this passage, and as you look down at verse 7 through 9, you'll see here it says, Little children, let no man deceive you that, that uh, he that uh, doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Now, that's why I titled this, 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 real whole, this message. It's really one of two points, so I'm giving you point one today, point two next week. So this point is really no deception. Note the contrast of behavior there in verses 7 through 9. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to guess. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. Now, on, the, on its face, when you read that, you're like, okay, you know, uh, what's that guy, Spicoli? Righteous, dude, whatever, you know, for the old timers. Uh, no, no, we're not talking about that kind of righteous. We're talking about true righteousness. So when you just read over that, some of you got that. But anyway, uh, don't worry about finding out where that comes from. But um, <clears throat> so righteousness um, righteousness here is interesting as you study it, which I, I didn't know this until I was going through this passage, so I'm eager to share it with you. Because if you take that phrase, is righteous, and you run it through the Bible, you'll find 11 mentions of it, um, uh, of the phrase, is righteous. And you probably won't be surprised um, that of, uh, of all those 11 mentions, only three of them uh, are not dealing with the Lord himself. Uh, and you see in 1 John 1, look at 1 John one twenty nine. It says, if you know uh, that he is righteous, he being the Lord, so that's dealing with him being righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. The next mention you can see is here in verse 7. So you can find that, you can see this re- the references, and I think I may have left them in your notes, I don't recollect, but in Exodus 9.27, 2 Chronicles 12.6, Psalms 129.4, 145.17, and Isaiah 41.26, uh, which, by the way, that verse in Isaiah 41 is the base for Romans 3.11. And then the last one is Lamentations, or not the last one, but then you find it in Lamentations 1.18, Daniel 9.14. Uh, and then after you get out of 1 John, the last mention is Revelation 22.1. All right, so that's all the references you can find, all 11 of them. I just rattled them off. 
Um, they're not hard to find. Just look up is righteous and you can find them. But this is what I want to point out about that. Of those 11, uh, only one is referencing a man who is righteous. And that man is found here in 1 John 3 and 7. The, the, the other 10 mentions, include the la, including the last one in 1 John 3, 7, is referencing the only righteous man to walk this planet. And that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I making sense? So of all the references, other than this one in, in, uh, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7, and the one in, in uh, it can go either way in Revelation, they're all dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous. All the way through the Bible. When it says is righteous, it's dealing with the Lord. And that's an interesting thing. Because, <clears throat> because, uh, because from Exodus 9.27 through Revelation 22.11, the Lord is righteous. However, we are righteous. Why? Because of his righteousness. So 10 of the 11 mentions point to Christ, the perfect man, when it talks about righteousness. And only one points to the man who is found in Christ. The last mention, as I said a moment ago, Revelation 22.11 could apply to the redeemed uh, of the Lord, or it could reply, uh, also apply to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Redeemer who justifies us and makes us righteous. Revelation 22.11 says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he that is uh, filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Uh, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. So Revelation 22.11 obviously is dealing with men in general, but our righteousness, even in that context, is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is righteous. So really the definition of righteous, as it's found in the Bible, is Jesus Christ. That's why Paul told, the, uh, the, told us in Romans chapter uh, 10 that the Jews, they missed their Messiah. Why? Because when righteousness showed up, they went about to establish their own righteousness instead of trusting him who fulfilled the law and was the righteousness of God. You can find that in, the first, in Romans chapter 10 in the first few verses there. And so our righteousness is Christ. Now that may not be a huge revelation, but it's a big deal. Because when you think about uh, he that doeth righteousness, the righteous is righteous. Why is that? Because you are of the one who is righteous. When you get saved, you literally become his child. You act like he acts. Any righteousness we possess or display is because of our relationship to our heavenly father as sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. It's his nature being demonstrated through us because salvation has been given to us. And so there's a, there's a contrast in behavior because there is a contrast in nature. There's a contrast in behavior because there's a contrast in nature. He that committed a sin, it says in verse 8, is of the devil, is of the devil. Now, I grew up across the street from some Pentecostals, and so, uh, and I didn't go to church. So I heard this of the devil thing so much that it became a joke around our house. Everything was of the devil, of the devil, of the devil. I really didn't know what that meant, of the devil. <clears throat> and, uh, no, and by the way, if you're Pentecostal, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying, my neighbors used to just say everything was of the devil. I mean, I'm like, am I of the devil? I mean, everything was of the devil. I was like, freaking me out, man. And so, uh, and so we, I just, I, I didn't, when I read this, it just resonated with me. This, the Bible, that's a Bible phrase, and it's found right here. There are people whose very nature is of the devil. As a matter of fact, my nature was of the devil. And if you're honest, yours is too before you're born again. So in 1 John 3, 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So John points us back to Genesis to remember that the devil sinneth from the beginning. And Satan is identified as the devil in Revelation 12, 9 and 20 and verse 2. Uh, in, in Revelation 12, 9, the Bible says, and, that, and the great dragon was cast out. Uh, that old serpent, right, going back to Genesis, when, when God called him a serpent and he cursed him in Genesis chapter 3, uh, from, the uh, from the beginning back there, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So we see in chapter 12 and verse 9, the capital D, it's a, proper, it's a proper noun there. He's not just a deceiver. He's not just a liar. He's not just a slanderer. He is the slanderer. 
right? Capital D. That's now his name. It's a pronoun for him. It's his name. Revelation 20 and verse 2 also capitalized. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So the word, the word devil or diablos in Greek simply means uh, false slanderer, accuser. All of those are synonyms for devil, and Satan is the personification of a false slanderous accuser. And so the devil rebelled, according to Isaiah 14, 12 to 14, and, and uh, he was once Lucifer, the anointed cherub that covered the throne, and now he is that old serpent, the devil, and Satan, which deceives the world. So the entire human race has been impacted by the fall between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Then subsequent, the subsequent fall of Adam that was after that, and Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Now that's not fables. That's actually, I believe that's history. I believe the Bible literally. I think that's what happened because they were a threat uh, to the, what the devil was wanting. We'll get into that more in just a moment. And so, <clears throat> and so we see here um, that, that, that we find the second mention of manifested as well in this text. If you're looking down in that text, he says um, in verse, <clears throat> where's it at? I just lost it. Ten, yeah, this is it. It's highlighted. How could I, how could I lose it? Um, well, in verse 8, it says uh, God was manifested. And then in verse 10, in this, the children of God are manifest. And so there's this word manifest that, that, that uh, pops up. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, in verse, in verse 8, uh, to destroy the works of the devil. I just read over that a second ago. So we see the contrast here. Jesus was manifested to take away our sin by destroying the works of the devil. Now, 1 John 3 and verse 5 says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. So Jesus Christ was manifested to take away our sins. That's where the first time you see it in chapter 3 is in verse 5 there. And then we see in verse 8 that God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. It's kind of like, a, like electricity. There's a positive leg and a negative leg. Jesus was manifested, and for us that are saved, it's a beautiful thing because he was manifested to take away our sin. But if you identify and your nature is that with Christ, it's not such a good thing because he came uh, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, if you're on God's side, that's two, that's two bonuses, right? That's two things that are good. But if you continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid you're on the wrong team. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Very clearly, it's what it says in verse 8. So notice the positive connotation to the sons of God in verse 5. And when we say Jesus came, uh, it was to take away our sins. We, we, when we look at the devil and those that are his children, it's to destroy his works. This is also why when we behold the manner of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us, we see great mercy and love to those who place their faith in him because Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. Our new birth makes us sinless positionally because his seed, Jesus Christ, remaineth in us. It says in verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Well, how does that happen? For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, you could do a word study that would start in Genesis 3.15, run through Genesis 22.18, come up through Isaiah 58.10, and actually add many other references, and they would all lead you to the conclusion <clears throat> that we are talking about the seed that's being referenced is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the seed of David, but he's also God's seed. Now, you know this very clearly, though, because Paul doesn't leave any room for doubt in Galatians 3 and verse 16, and it should be on the screen, I believe, it says there in Galatians 3, 16, as Paul brings this reference together, so there's no debate about the seed, he says, Now unto Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, and then he says this, which is Christ. The seed, the one seed that everyone needs to be concerned about is the good seed, and the good seed is Jesus Christ. He is the seed, according to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. All the promises of Abraham and his seed, plural, are found in one man, and that man is Christ. That's why we put our faith in him. And so the children of the devil are manifest, he says. Now, that's also interesting because when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees in John chapter 8, we teach this in our discipleship lessons as well, Right? He tells those religious guys that ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from when? Well, from the beginning. 
and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When there's an absence of truth, of course, we, would, we know the truth is the word of God. Jesus said that, thy word is truth. But when there's an absence of truth, you know what comes after that? Murder. When you put a vacuum of truth in the atmosphere, there's, there's going to be murder to follow in the heart of man. And there, he's a murderer from the beginning, and a bone not in the truth. When we won't abide with truth, right? When you get saved, what happens? Christ comes in and he abides in us. He makes our body his tabernacle. This is his abode. And we now abide in him. We're seated together in heavenly places. We talked about that. That also helps us understand the positional and the practical sanctification aspects, right? So we understand that we abide in him. He abides in us. But you know what? If you're not saved, the truth does not abide in you. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar, and he is the father of it. Now, how many of us here, how many, anybody here never told a lie? Yeah, you're a liar if you say you haven't, right? That's why we need a redeemer. That's why the news is so good, because all of us have been in a place where we haven't done the truth. Why? Because we're naturally, our natural man is born of the devil. That's scary to think about. But I'll tell you what, I, 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 I used to deny that. Anyone live in denial? You know, you can make fun of people like Caitlyn Jenner or Bruce Jenner or whatever he is, and you can make fun of people that have gender dysphoria. You really shouldn't. It's sad. It's sad, and, and uh, we should pray for him because that's not healthy. You know, the reality is, though, there's a lot of people that, that are confused about their identity, and they go to church every week. They may even know some scripture. They may be very religious, but at the end of the day, their father is not God. Their father is the devil. They're just religious, but they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they may get mad about Caitlyn Jenner, but yet they won't do anything about coming to faith in Christ. And really the reality here is that our identity must be found in Christ. If it's not found in Christ, God only knows what kind of perversion people are going to get into, right? Because there's no limits to a sinful man. And the devil's just going to keep adding coal on that fire. And people are going to continue to do what lost people do, which is act lost and be confused and not know what even gender they are anymore, which when it's obvious and biological, and there's only two, right? That's crazy. You can't say that anymore because I don't know anything, I guess. Okay, so he that is of God heareth God's words, and therefore he, uh, uh, therefore hear them not, uh, I'm sorry, let me get this right. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore, as Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees, ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. You can tell your temperature with the Lord Jesus Christ by how you receive or are not willing to receive his words. I mean, if, if you just, there's, there's, there are people that will just absolutely go crazy over, these, over this Bible. There's a reason we have to, some of these Bibles that y'all are making, we're not bringing them through the front door. You know why? Because the powers that be are, at, are scared of this book. Because they don't want to receive the words of truth. They don't want it in people's hands, and they certainly don't want it in people's hearts. Because it'll make them free. It'll set them free from the bondage of sin. And with that, the natural behavior that goes with it. If God controls your life, then, well, then they're not going to be able to. So the children of the devil do unrighteousness and hate God's children. One of the clearest indications uh, that one is a child of the devil is the inability to hear God's words and to lie about who Jesus Christ is. All the cults, very religious, promote a Jesus that's not in the Bible. You know, of course, Islam, they'll talk about Jesus being a prophet, but when you say, no, Jesus is God, they'll kill you, some of them. Uh, Mormons, same thing. Well, they won't kill you, not yet anyway. But Mormons, they, they have another Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Scripture. It's the brother of Lucifer. No, Jesus is not the brother of Lucifer. He's the creator. He is God. Jehovah Witnesses, he's, he's less. He's not God. He's a lesser God. He's a lesser Jesus. He's a small G God over there across the street. And so... Uh, all of them say, say, you know what, we love the truth, but you know what? They all got to have a different Bible. They'll reject the word of God. Just as in, in Jesus' earthly ministry, many religious leaders exalted 
their supposed understanding and knowledge, which that's what Paul, that's what we learned that John is dealing with here at this age in this time is Gnosticism, right? That place of Gnosticism that led to asceticism and mysticism. He is he where man's knowledge and their supposed um, um, relationship with God exalted them above the lady, and they became the holy man, that priesthood of believers, so to speak, that you could not attain because you didn't have the knowledge. The knowledge was locked down with them in in their mysteries, not the mysteries of the New Testament. And so God rejects that. That's why the church is called together uh, for the Lord's Supper. Uh, That's your blank there, Lord's Supper. We do this to remember the family we belong to as sons of God. We celebrate God's love for the world, the son's love for the father, and our love for Jesus and the brethren. The Lord's Supper is a prelude to the love that we will have one for another and the Lord Jesus Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so this is why John encourages us to be prepared for that day in 1 John 2, 28, because part of that is taking our walk with God and one another seriously and being full of charity. In 1 John 4, 20, the Bible says, if, if a man say, I love God and hate his brother, you know what he is? He's a liar. We already learned in John 8, the, God, the, the, the devil's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hasn't seen? How can we say we love God and then look at our brother and say, Um, I don't want to look at anybody in particular. There's my brother. I don't like you, brother. I'll offend somebody for sure. You can't. Why? Because God God created your brother. That doesn't mean you like every you don't like, you know, everything your brother may do, but you should certainly love him. You know, in a household of faith, it's just like your household at home. Siblings don't always get along, but they sure do love each other. Are they better? They're going to spake him. Now, anyway, so, but there needs to be love among the, among the body of Christ. If you say you love God, you can't hate your brother. So point C, note the continuity of this message in verse 11. He says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, this is a repeat. We've heard this before, and we're going to hear it some more before we're done with the book. But this message, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew ye him? Because of his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So this is the message. The second time John has said this in his epistle, the first time was in verse 5 when he said, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then the second mention of this is the message uh, reference comes when he's dealing very clearly with the great commandment from 1 John 2, verses 7 through 8. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. So I've already covered all of this in the past, but I just want to refresh your memory. And we've covered that in previous messages. John is pointing out that Jesus took the old commandment from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19 and verse 18, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and other locations that deals with Loving your brethren. And he's added a new commandment. Does anybody remember? What's the new commandment? Love God and love your brother. Matthew chapter 5. I'll give you the answer. Verse 43. Jesus said, We have heard that in the, it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That's, that's all the way back from the beginning. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's the new part. Not only do you need to love God and love your brothers, Jesus says, oh, by the way, love your enemy. Because the true light's come to the world. And I'm going to give you the capacity to do that. It's well documented that General MacArthur called for, for as many U.S. missionaries as possible and Bibles that could be mustered to be sent to Japan after their defeat in World War II. You know, I found it interesting, I was thinking about that, how General MacArthur embodied um, exactly what we're talking about, whether he even knew it or not. On one hand, he brought defeat to an enemy, an enemy that believed that they were divine. They hadn't lost a war in a thousand years. They did not think they could be beaten. And suddenly, they were uh, demolished. And MacArthur, instead of gloating over it, instead of saying, you know, let's pour concrete out here and just get rid of everything, let's annihilate them, let's find them all, let's hunt them all down and kill every Japanese person we can, what did, they, what did we do? 
as a reflection of the kind of country that we used to be. We rebuilt it. But MacArthur wasn't just concerned about bringing in new businesses and getting, uh, getting you know, the economy going. His primary responsibility in his, own, in his own memoirs, in his own writing, was his spiritual responsibility to bring Christianity to Japan. Now, how can that be as a general? On one hand, he brings the wrath of God. On the other hand, God used him as a hand of mercy. And so he's got both in his, he had both in his, uh, in his uh, he's, uh, he's a unique man in history to have that kind of power in modern history. And what he was doing, whether he knew it or not, and I don't think or know General MacArthur, I don't know that he was a really a spiritual man. It may have been logistical, and he understood the impact of history and Christianity, obviously, in the United States for sure. But he understood if a nation was really going to be rebuilt, it needed a spiritual foundation, and that foundation should be Christ. You know what he did when he, when he made that statement? I've been told that not only 100 missionaries showed up, but actually uh, I read another article said 5,000 missionaries showed up. I know there's still missions work going on there to this day. But this is what I really know about all of that, is that was God's love for those people. He was sending his love through a general named General Douglas MacArthur by sending missionaries to a defeated people who just lost their God. You see, sometimes that's when, that's when you're ready and ripe. When you finally realize at the end of the day, guess what? My emperor isn't a God, and I'm not a God, and my ancestors weren't gods. We just got defeated. We're, there's nothing left. Douglas MacArthur was like, let's not leave him there. Let's bring him some hope. Let's bring him some life. Let's bring him some light. Bring Bibles and bring missionaries. Send the light. Send the light. We've seen that. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Let it shine past the shore. Right? Let's have a modern missions movement. Why? Because we're to love our enemies. It's not enough to defeat them. General MacArthur wanted to restore him. It's no surprise if the world hates you, beloved. In verse 12 through 13, this is where we're going to stop this morning. Check out this text. It says, Not as Cain, who is of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and whereby slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't, don't miss it. There is a righteous judgment, but Cain didn't have it. There's a condemnation of Cain here in verse 12. Cain was manifest as being of that wicked one. We've already talked about being of the devil. Cain was of that wicked one. Like the religious Pharisees and Sadducees that sought to murder Jesus were given the motive for Cain's consternation with Abel in this passage. Abel's works were evil and his brothers were righteous. We're not left to guess. Why, why was Cain so upset? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. He wanted God to receive something that God wasn't going to receive. God wanted a sacrifice. Cain wanted to bring the work of his hands. Cain hated Abel for being right with God. You know, God asks questions that he wants answered, right? So he asks the question there, and then he gives us the answer. Wherefore slew he him? Well, because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. He slew him because he knew Abel was right, and he wasn't. And Abel didn't do anything but raise some dumb sheep. I can't believe that God's going to... I've done all this work. I've done all these things. Look at what I've done. And you want me to bring my brother's dumb sheep? God's like, yep, I just want you to obey my voice. This is the truth. Would you receive it? If you do, there's a blessing, Cain. You're the elder brother. I want to bless you. All I need you to do is lay down your idea and take up mine. Of course, we know Cain wasn't going to have that, and he murdered Abel. And I can remember having the same hatred in my heart when I was lost, despising the righteous as though they thought they were better than, than me. Anybody ever feel like that when you were lost? Maybe I'm the only one. You'd look narrowly upon the righteous. Why? Because, well, they're, they think they're too good for me. They think they're too, you know what? That wasn't the case at all. I was in unrighteousness. And conversely, since I was saved, I've, I've met plenty of Christians or so-called Christians who also walk about as though they are better than everybody else. And they aren't really humble. And they aren't really concerned about the enemy. And they really don't want to see people restored. And they really don't think about the judgment that's about to fall upon them. 
right? If you're a Christian, is the wrath of God going to fall upon you? No. Does that mean you're not going to be persecuted? Does that mean you're not going to be hated? Does that going to mean you're not going to be despised? Does that mean you're not going to have hard times? Of course not. It's all of us can suffer. As a matter of fact, we're told we are going to suffer. So just embrace that. But understand, whatever suffering that you face in this life is nothing compared to what the wrath of God is going to be like upon those that don't know him. And we need to have compassion on our enemies, knowing that, well, we've been saved. We've been set apart. We, we are the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. We have the coat of many colors. Man, we are the beloved children of God. That should cause us to take the gospel everywhere it needs to go on time. So here's the conclusion of the child of God in verse 13. He says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Isn't that interesting how he changes there? It's little children, little children, little children. And all of a sudden in verse 13, after talking about this heavy topic of people being of the devil and and people hating you and killing you like Cain and, and murder and all that, he says, hey, brethren, marvel not, brethren. Marvel not, my brethren, that the world hate you. He changes his tone here. He doesn't call, call them little children, but brethren. You know what happens when you face off with the enemy? A, a, a person that just hates you, despises you, for, not for what you've done, but for who you are, who your father is, it matures you. You know, a lot of people are afraid to go out and share their faith. You know why? They're immature. They're afraid of, you know, we went to Boston, didn't we? Uh, we, we saw people that didn't want to receive the message. But it brings a maturity, doesn't it? You start to realize, wow, this is how Jesus feels. I mean, we're not, we're not like hard selling it. We're not like, you know, sitting on top of them and putting their arms behind their back. You need to get saved. Turn or burn. I mean, we're being as gentle. We're being as, as compassionate, as cool as we can be. We're just wanting to say, hey, we, can we offer you something? Can we talk to you? Could, do you have a moment? And as soon as they find out, yeah, they got a moment to talk about going to a party, but when they find out it's about Jesus, oh, man. Oh, man, no. Guys, that's nothing. Those people might face the wrath of God someday. That's the least we could do is try to interrupt their busy schedule to tell them about Jesus. Facing off with the enemy, man, I tell you what, it'll mature you, brethren. One of the reasons we need to witness to people who hate us and our gospel is because it's good for us. Good for us. And it glorifies God. Oh, man, I don't want to get the door slammed in my face. Now, I'm not saying you should be stupid, all right? But there ought to be an effort. And the door will get slammed in your face. You know what you'll find today, though? I think more than any time in my life, people are more open right now to hearing the gospel than any time I've been alive. You know why? Because everything else is failing. There's confusion. People are going, something's wrong. And you're like, that's correct. But I know who's right. It's Jesus. He's the righteous one. He is righteousness. Would you like to meet him? Would you like to have him? Would you like to receive him? He loves you. He wants to be, he wants you to be his child. He wants to bestow love upon you. I mean, that's good news. We need to be ready to share it, even if the world does hate us. Jesus already prepared us to face the fact that the world will hate us. In John chapter 15, in verse 17, the Bible says, These things have I commanded you that you love one another. And notice how he changes the text. Okay, brotherly love, yeah, Lord's Supper love, yeah, family love, yeah. And then he says, and if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Doesn't mean they will, but if they do, if you were of the world, the world would, ha- would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The one thing we love to talk about is the catching away. The glorious day of the Lord. Man, that, 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 that blessed hope, that very thing makes people angry. Who do you think you are that you're special to God? If your God's so good, why does he let people starve in Africa? I heard Christian singers, supposedly Christian singers, leave the faith because they can't solve that problem. You know why? Because they never opened 1 John and looked at sin, 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 and sinneth. 
and the impact of the devil and Satan on this world. If you can't see there's a battle between light and dark and good and evil, pull your head out of the sand and quit blaming God for the sin of this world and quit capitulating with the sin and get on board with the winning team and follow Christ. You just get tired of it. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So I put a little list here. I'm going to rattle this off real quick, and we're just about done, so hang with me. Let me just tell you a little bit about some hatred that comes from the world. You know, Satan hated Adam. Adam is the blank there because he was the son of God. Luke 3.38 tells us that. It tells us that if Satan couldn't rule the world, well, certainly he was not going to allow Adam to do that. He wasn't going to stand by and watch this weak creature that God put in this garden that doesn't even know the difference between good and evil to take over his inheritance. And so, of course, he murdered him spiritually. And physically, because he died at 930 years old as well, before the day of the Lord. And then Cain, who was of the wicked one, hated Abel. Abel's in the blank. Because he was of the wicked one, he didn't love Abel. He hated him because his own works were wicked. We saw that clearly in 1 John. But let's just fast forward the tape through history. We could look at this. I could list the names down my arm, down the aisle, out the door, down 49 Highway throughout history. I'm just giving you some highlights here. Hitler hated the Jews, didn't he? Think about that. Why did Hitler hate the Jews? He didn't like the fact that there was a people group that lived in his neighborhood. Now, they weren't Christians, of course, but they claimed that they had a special relationship with God. And the church that supported his regime was willing to do that. Why? Because they believed they inherited the promises of God, or the, uh, the promises of Israel themselves. So it behooved them to go ahead and support Hitler so he could get those guys out of the way, and they could steal their wealth. And you know what ensued in World War II. Many today don't like God's plan to rule, to this day don't like the plan that God has to have the nation of Israel rule and reign over the Gentile nations of this earth. And that is what the Bible prophecies still predict and will be fulfilled. It doesn't bother me in the least. But I'll tell you what, you just go up to Washington, D.C., you go over to Israel, I mean, it, it, the, all of the geopolitical activity of the world rotates around the kingdom of heaven promises to the nation of Israel. And all the wars really are fought about that and the economies that circulate around it. And they have ever since, well, ever since the Israel, Abraham got the promise. But you know what Hitler did? He wanted a master race. Hitler combined Norse mythology with technology turned it into a war machine in an attempt to annihilate God's chosen people, and anybody that would stop him, Hitler, was simply a warm-up for the coming tribulation. And then you got the current Marxist agenda, proven for over 120 years. Specifically, it doesn't just, we're not the only people group, but they hate the ideology, as they would see it as Christianity. And somehow it's making a global resurgence. You can go back to the Bolshevik Revolution, ushered in, a great, ushered in a great persecution of both Jews and Christians in Russia because the state believed it reigned supreme over the souls of men. It was estimated that the Soviet Union murdered 12.7 million Christians. That's Christians, not counting Jews. 12.7 million. The Maoist Revolution. I don't know how many were Christian, but the Maoist Revolution, Chairman Mao, is claimed to have murdered 60 million souls because their ideology didn't suit the collective. And to this day, Christians are, are, uh, are being persecuted in China because, of course, they believe Christianity is toxic. And there's no power greater than the party. Pol Pot in Cambodia murdered one, one and a half to two million people now, I'm not, I'm not saying those, a lot of those were not uh, Christians, of course. I'll talk a little bit more about that next week, that regime and what God's done there. But you know what? That, that's a wicked, it's a wicked system. 
Today in Vietnam, it's very similar. They, if it wasn't for uh, Vietnam's uh, need for Western support and their reluctance to let China dominate them, Christianity would still be under complete lockdown there. It still is under persecution. Don't forget Cuba. You want Anybody go, want to go plant a church in Cuba? You know what? I, I know of people doing what we do in this church with Bibles. They do it in secret. You ain't just opening up the shop. You're not just saying, hey, come to our Bible conference in Cuba. Why? Because it's illegal. You marvel at that? You shouldn't. But you better take this book seriously. I better take it seriously. We better realize what we got here in this Bible. Because it is powerful. It's powerful. The Christian should not marvel when globalism, which is rooted in humanism, becomes very impatient with Christians who resist transhumanism. The concept of an individual soul liberty certainly will be blamed for blocking progress of the godless global agenda. And don't be surprised when you become the reason cited for the lack of progress, prosperity, and world peace. You will become the problem. Is that the fault of the Bible literalist? Of course it is, because he holds to the, the apocalyptic view of the Bible. And he won't give up on his, 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 his uh, belief that Israel is supposed to be a nation. And if we could just get rid of that belief, the world would be fine. I say that with tongue in cheek, of course. Now, this is kind of a heavy message, and this is just the first half. I got more coming next week, so this is just the warm-up. The point is this. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Cain will tell you, grab your gun and murder your brother. That's what Cain will tell you. You know what Jesus will tell you? Love your enemies because there's no weapon formed against you that will prosper. You've already won, even if your life is taken. Now that's victory. That's sober, but it's true. So here's the application. Brethren, how can we love our enemies if we can't love our brothers? Don't be deceived. If you can't love your brother, you simply don't love God and, 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 and won't have what it takes to bless those who hate you and despitefully use you. You know, Romans twelve fourteen says, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Let me ask you, how many of you here feel like you have actually had some sort of resistance, like some sort of persecution because of Christ? I'm just curious. Anybody? Okay, some of you. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to like shame anyone and say, no, you haven't, because you live in America. I've seen Americans, you know, come to Christ and, and do what, what uh, Matt did today. And man, they, 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 it's hard. They get ostracized from their family. Um, it, it costs them to follow Christ, even in America. So I don't want to make light of anyone's, uh, the resistance, because you're going to get it here just like you get it everywhere else. But certainly, obviously, we understand it's a lot more intense in other places. Why? Because God literally has historically blessed the USA. But the USA is in heaven. Jerusalem above is the mother of us all. And it's important that we understand to bless them which persecute us. How do you bless? Somebody tell me, how can we bless those that would persecute us. Pray for him. That's excellent. What else might we do? Pray for him is the first thing we should do. We're priests. We covered that a few weeks ago. Yep, pray. And then, yeah, give him praise. If you, where you can't, grace, that's better. Give him grace, grace, and treat him with kindness. That's right. Anybody else? That's good. Those are, I'm not looking for right answers. I'm actually, those are good. Those are exactly on target. What's that? You know what it boils down to? to mani it's manifest in Christ, isn't it? Instead of Cain. But we know, even as Christians in our heart, there's times we get in our flesh. And instead of loving people and bringing them into the kingdom, we want to go ahead and put them out of their misery and send them to the devil's kingdom permanently. Now, we wouldn't do that, literally. But that can be in our heart. And when you get that kind of attitude in your heart, you need, I need to, you need to repent and realize, you know what? Don't be deceived. Don't let the devil draw you into a battle that you're not left on this planet to fight. 
Now I'm not talking about your rights as a citizen of the United States or someone breaking into your home or if you're in the military, you have a, you have a license to kill for real. Um, and so if you've got to exercise it, you've got to exercise it. But what I'm saying is our heart shouldn't be such that that's what we want to do. You know how patient Jesus is? He's been waiting 2,000 years to drop, drop a bomb on humanity. I said open a can last week, right? Whichever, how you want to look at it. It's not that Jesus isn't able. It's just he's not willing right now because he wants all men everywhere to be saved. And beloved, that's the spirit he puts in the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And it's about his word and his truth and abiding in it. If the truth doesn't abide in us, man, nobody else is going to see it. You can be, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You can say you're a Christian all day long, but do we live like it? I tell you what, it'll be manifest if we do. And I pray that God manifests his grace and his light through us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that the, the body of Christ would not be deceived or beguiled from the great love of God that's been bestowed upon us. It is, it is amazing grace as we sing it's 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 uh, truly awesome uh fall down on our face in awe in wonder of the goodness that's been bestowed upon us not because we earned it or deserve it but because of your great love we have believed that the sacrifice for sin is the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world we have trusted it and it alone to redeem us from the curse of the law and sin and death and Lord, we believe that that promise of eternal life comes through Jesus Christ, and we are now set apart for your eternal purposes. And we understand that we're left on this planet to reconcile lost men to Christ because they are enemies, as I was once your enemy, lost and without hope, without Christ. Lord, help us to get the gospel where it needs to go on time because certainly the world is always going to hate us as it hated you. And yet you gave your life on the cross to die because the Father said he so loved the world that he gave you his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, give us a heart of love, because we really do believe and understand you are a God of just and righteous wrath. And so, Father, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would, would do something in this message in our hearts to make us be intentional about our gospel outreach, about our discipleship, about our training, and what we're doing at this church, about our preparation of the words of God in the literal form of Bibles, and in the preaching of God's word, in the ministry of God's word all over the place, God, in the harvest parties, in the celebrations, in the activities that we do, God, may your word be preeminent and may the light shine in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. May the love of Christ be manifest in a way that people get a hold of who you are and how they can know you before it's too late. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, we want you to know Christ in a personal way. And you say, Brian, that's me. I need to be saved. Just simply raise your hand where you are. Anybody at all? Say, Brian, I need to be born again today. I'm in the crosshairs of God's wrath, and I know it, and I want to get out. I want Jesus' love. I want his peace. I want his joy. I'm not trying to scare anyone to heaven, but if I can scare you out of hell, I will. Anybody at all? Say you're saved, man. Praise God. Let's stand together in God's and let God minister to our hearts. As we conclude this morning, if you need to make a decision, maybe you need to go forward. we got um, Luke and Brenda here. They can pray with you if you need someone to pray with you. Perhaps you need to answer the call to join this church. You need to answer the call to join the Lord in the mission field, or maybe God's calling you to preach or some other uh, thing. If you need to make a decision, uh, come on and step out this morning. You can come forward and pray. Uh, and while we do that, if, if you are one this morning that just needs to to uh, say, Brian, I just need some prayer. Uh, something that you've said has ministered to me in some way, and I, I need some prayer over that. Anybody need some prayer this morning? Amen. Me too. Let's pray for each other. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us compassion and, and Lord, giving us uh, opportunities to adjust. Lord, I, I'm very aware of the environment that we live in and where things may be headed. But Lord, it doesn't really matter if we're not about your business. Oh, Heavenly Father, may we, we have hope. Or no, This world is without hope. It's without Christ. And we represent the life and the light of the world. Heavenly Father, there is hope, and it is found in you. There is, there is righteousness, and it's found in you. There is 
joy and it's found in you. There is peace and it's found in you. There is love and it's found in you, Lord. We rejoice and we praise you this morning. Lord, I pray, God, for these that have hands raised. You know the needs of each and every heart. Lord, help us so to, to just continue to love you and walk in the light. And, and Lord, next week we'll talk about knowing the love of God and what that means to the, the child of God. And Lord, we're going to end on a good note. And so, Father, I, I pray, God, that the things that we're thinking about, a little heavy on this first half, Lord, would, would uh, just percolate in our hearts as we, as we understand the victory that we have in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you and I praise you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. Appreciate all those that are here and pray that uh, God has blessed you as you've uh, enjoyed an ABF. If you haven't been part of an ABF, at nine o'clock every Sunday, we have adult Bible fellowships and it's a great way to get in a smaller group here in HBF. I encourage you to, to seek one of those five. There, you don't have to go to any one. Try all five and then settle where God wants you to settle. That's a big part of being connected here at HBF. Also, I um, uh, just wanted to, mentioned that today there's walking tacos. So um, even if you don't want to eat a walking taco, buy a walking taco for somebody and uh, on the way out. And that walking taco will help uh, fund the, uh, the uh, missions trip to Monmouth. So that's a fundraiser this morning. Um, also, just remember, if you uh, are going to the Next Steps meeting, it's going to be over here in the Common Grounds room. Uh, go ahead and grab a walking taco. That's on us. That's, that's us providing lunch for you since we're doing that. Uh, it kind of eliminates us doing double duty. And then meet me over here in the, in the uh, Common Grounds room. I don't have anyone confirmed for that. Uh, and so it would be good if you let me know because if I don't see anybody, I might peel out. So, um, and if you're wanting to get that done, that's great because uh, I'd love to sit and visit with you about uh, the next steps, what HBF is all about. So with that, I want to go ahead and ask uh, Jason to come up. He'll wrap it up with any other announcements that we have this morning. And uh, thank you guys for coming. God bless you. A couple other things, and we can get uh, out of here. Um, the harvest party's coming up at the end of the month, so there's some sign-up papers out in the foyer uh, to sign up for a booth, or if you want to man the bounce houses or some of the food, they're looking for some people to do the grilling and, and all the different things. The harvest party is one of the bigger outreaches we do throughout the year, and there's a lot of people from the community that come uh, for that. So uh, if you want to be involved in that, sign up, and uh, if you uh, need in more info, you can catch me, uh, Chris and Lauren Cohen are, are leading that up, and uh, so it'll be a good time. We're hoping to have it uh, out back this year, and so it'll be a good time, hopefully get the tent set up and uh, have a, a good afternoon. So uh, the date on that is in your bulletin. It's not in my little email here, but it's at the end of the month. So uh, they're also looking for candy uh, for that, so if you want to bring candy uh, and drop it off, uh, I think there's a spot in the foyer for that as well, so uh, we can uh, give that out to the kids throughout the day, and then uh, along with that, uh, talking about being out back. I don't know if you noticed when you pulled in, but uh, the first part of the playground uh, is assembled, and so the only thing that's left now, or at least this phase, is to get the railroad ties in and all the mulch, and we're hoping to get that done before the harvest party. So if you want to be a blessing and help with the funding of that, uh, you can give directly towards that. Just write it on your little envelope, or you can give online to the playground equipment, so it'd be a, a blessing to the kids uh, for that. And so uh, was oh, the only other thing is on your way out, in the foyer, uh, they have a bake sale, uh, so grab you some stuff for that. And then also when you get to the, uh, the outside of the little portico, they have the walking tacos. All the funds for that are to fund the uh, Monmouth mission trip. So grab some of that on your way out. Uh, it's all to fund that. And so uh, with that, uh, let's pray and uh, get out of here. Have a good week. So, uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for being good to us. Uh, Lord, even when we uh, are unfaithful to you. So we pray that you would just uh, continue to draw us uh, to yourself, draw us to your word, Lord, and I pray that we would be uh, just faithful to you. We pray for all the upcoming events, all the different things, Lord, that we would just do those for uh, you, that we would give you the honor and the glory for, and we wouldn't do any of these things uh, so we could be a church that's known, but we would uh, do it so we you could be a God that's known. So, Lord, I pray you just send us out this week as lights in a dark world, that you would get the honor and the glory from our lives. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you guys, you're dismissed.